welcome back to the Jesus Magnet Podcast. I'm your host, Joel, and today we have Greg on the podcast today. How are you doing, Greg? Good, thanks, Joel. It's great to be here. Yeah, we're excited to hear your story and what God's done in your life. As you said uh, earlier, you have had 30 years as a Christian, um, but you're 60 years old now. That's right. So um, Don't tell anyone too loudly, okay? <laughs> I'll only uh, tell the entire planet <laughs> from this podcast. <laughs> well, at least they won't know who I am, so that's good. <laughs> so, yeah, Greg, uh, tell us, you know, what brought you to the Christian faith? Have you always been a Christian? Tell us that journey. Um, yeah, it's been quite a long um, winding road, you could say. Um, when I was very young, we weren't, and as a family, we're, we're local here from this area, but we weren't involved in any shape or form with anything to do with Christianity until um, okay. I was probably about nine or ten years old. Okay, so you grew up in a Christian family after nine and ten years um, old. Well, what happened was <clears throat> we, because I grew up, I mean, I, you know, because I'm sixty, the late sixties is when I was sort of um, probably around ten years old, and there was a bit of a move of the Lord happening in New Zealand at that time. There was there was sort of a revival going on, and my mum came home one day and she said, "Oh." We all need to go to church, and Dad was kind of like, "Oh, what do we need to do that?" He didn't want to <laughs> be a part of that, <clears throat> but yeah. she kind of insisted. So we started attending a local Presbyterian church in our area. Our mum had come from that background, so somehow, yeah, she was the one that initiated us attending something. And for the next few years, um, I, I went to Sunday school. Mm. I wouldn't say it was a necessarily a lively kind of a fun thing, but it, but the lady who led our little group, she really loved us. Mm. It really spoke to me when I was about 10 years old that this lady really dedicated her time to sharing with us kids. And I remember she even had this big party at the end of the year for Christmas, invited us all back to her house, and she had all the stuff that kids like, like ice cream and little plenty sausages and chips awesome. and we just thought she was awesome you know yeah. so that really spoke to me that time this just little so seed that was being dropped just the way that she loved you like yeah. in that sense she you really know? cared for us yeah. yeah she'd just share stories and she'd read us passages out of the bible and one day she read um the passage in isaiah about you know um he sent me to give good news to the poor tell prisoners and prisoners no more sort of thing so i read you know she as she was reading that um, that passage, I really felt that that was something for my life, but I didn't mm. understand what that was at that point. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. Mm. So, was there? In, there was no change when you were nine years old. Um, you just no. went to church. Just went to church. We yep. used to sit in the main service, um, and then the kids would go out to Sunday school. So it was just part of what we did on a Sunday. Yeah. But um, what you really spoke was the actions of this lady. Yeah. And you're going, man, there, there's got to be something different about her. Something different know, about her. And there was something about what she was sharing too. I knew there was something very significant mm. in the passages she was sharing. But yeah. at that point, I hadn't kind of connected the dots. And yeah, was, was she an older Older lady. lady. She probably was in her 70s or something, late 60s, oh, yeah. 70s. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. she'll be passed on now. Do you remember her name? No, I've got no idea. That's that's amazing. It's eh? Interesting, yeah. And she, you know, she'll be with the Lord now. Yeah. But just that first plant with first you, plant, yeah. You know, here you are. 
you know, 60 years old now, close closer to her age when she was teaching That's you right. originally. That's right. And it's carried on that whole life. Yeah. Like those yeah. seeds are, are, are powerfully strong. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so growing up at nine years old, you went to church. At which point did, did it click and change to go, okay, this, this has got to be real? Or mm. did you fall more or less when you start growing up and you become a teenager and a young adult and then you start going into the world more or less? Is that which direction well, did you go? Well, what happened was that I don't know if what, but after a couple of years, my parents said to us one day, my brother and I, they said, um, we're not going to church anymore. And we went, oh, oh, why is that? Well, we didn't actually ask why is that. We just was kind of, we were kind of surprised. But um, so my parents said, well, you guys can carry on in Sunday school if you want, but we're not going to be attending the main service anymore. So we're like, oh, okay. And we didn't want to kind of go on our own, so we sort of stopped going. Yeah, yeah. So. Why did your parents? I never did find out why that really? happened. But huh. the, the interesting twist to that story was probably about three years later, um, mum and dad were asked to do a mission trip to Vanuatu. Um, because they were still on the role of the church membership. Oh, and true. there's quite a story behind yeah. that mission trip, but it was in the 70s, uh, 77, I think it was. And <clears throat> the Prezi Church had uh, wanted a big, or they had actually done a couple of shorter trips to Vanuatu prior, and but they really felt the Lord challenged them to actually really open it up to anyone and everyone, and they mm. would just accept whoever sort of wanted to come. Yeah. They ended up chartering a special flight, uh, New Zealand flight to Vanuatu and had 130 people from wow. all around New Zealand on this trip. And somehow my mum and dad were asked to go. Um, we had gone to Fiji a couple of times, a um, couple of years prior. Um, so, yeah, I think the church found out about that and said, oh, these, this couple could go to, to Vanuatu and, and help out. Yeah. So mum and dad headed off on this mission trip when I was um, 15. And they weren't really involved in the church. They, and they just weren't went. really involved. They were just on the membership. <laughs> they weren't even going to the services on a Sunday. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and did that have a certain impact on your parents, that mission trip? I think it had a big impact on mum and dad uh, when they came back. Mum was just absolutely fizzing with stories and photos and, you know, the kids wow. they met. And so you didn't were, go with them? I didn't go. We were, I was 15, so I was at home with my bro, and uh, we were looked after by a Christian lady in our home, which was an interesting thing as well. I remember the first, <clears throat> the first night when my mum and dad had left, and she said, okay, we're all going to say, say grace. So we, we didn't really know what to do. Oh, true. <laughs> We'd never done that before. Yeah. So, yeah, so mum and dad were off on this mission trip, and my brother and I were being looked after by this church lady yeah, yeah. who we didn't know. But, it's like um, God's uh, <laughs> boxing your family in, <laughs> yeah, almost. Right. Eh? He kind of captured us, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, so was the the stories that your parents came back with Yeah. that – had an impact on yes, you. Yes, definitely. So yeah, it's, huge. it's cool how God uses other people to impact other people. Definitely. They don't even have to experience the same stuff. Just yep. being around people that have seen the yep. Lord move. That's right. That yep. if, that changes the environment, more or less, the yes. way that they're breathing. You know, it's like, yep. oh, there's life here. Yep. What is it? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, it was interesting because, <clears throat> yeah, Dad, Mum and Dad definitely were really touched by the trip. We could see that, my brother and I. The sad part of the story was that um, my dad got, 
what's diagnosed with cancer very, very soon after that trip. Um, so I was doing school C at the time, and mum and dad were trying to hide that from me, the fact that he actually had cancer. Mm. And we think that the cancer, no one ever got to the root of it, but we think that my dad got a coral cut on the mission trip in Vanuatu, and that led to a malignant melanoma on his leg. He got a lump in his wow. groin, and they biopsied and said, you've actually got cancer into your lymphatic system, so you're probably only going to last a year, five years max. So we were faced with that whole, after the wow. joy of that trip, you know, months later, dad's diagnosed, and we're like, wow. And they tried to hide it from me. I was doing the school C, as I mentioned, but um, I actually overheard my mum and dad talking about it, so I didn't tell them that I knew that mm. he had cancer. Um, so while I was doing my school C, he was in hospital at mm. that point. So it was a really hard time for us as a family, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, did that shake your family with their faith? It, I think it, <clears throat> it we, we, because we weren't attending regularly or anything and we weren't, like reading our Bibles or anything like that, I think we were all kind of reaching out in our own way to work, kind of understand what was going on. Mm. Yeah, and we never, the problem was we didn't really talk about it as a family. We just kind of buried our, all our head, like I buried my head into schoolwork for yeah. exams and yeah. things like that. And I think we all kind of went our own way and tried to cope with just it. Just ignoring how it. we could. Yeah. yeah. What about your dad? So dad... <coughs> um, he was quite optimistic. He thought he'd be healed somehow. He was changing his diet and looking at alternative medicines and things. But the reality was um, that within a year of that diagnosis, you know, the biopsy, he'd passed away. Yep. So I was 16 when, when he passed, yeah. So it was really hard time really for young. us, yeah. And your brother, is he He's older? only 14, so he was two oh, years wow. younger. So, yeah. Man. And we uh, had a very close relationship with Dad as well. He was like a, a guy you could do adventure with. You know, mm. like he was a pilot part-time. We used to fly on an aircraft quite regularly with him, um, motorbiking, yeah. sailing. He loved the outdoors. So we were we were very blessed guys. Mm. We didn't know that at the time. We thought that was normal. Yeah. But we had a very close relationship with Dad as, mm. a, as a friend. So to lose that at that age was very, very dramatic. Yeah. 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 So what what ended up happening next? Was that a, a well, one of yeah. those milestone moments oh, in your goodness. life that yeah. spiraled something else? I think, yeah. I mean, like I said, we all try to cope with it our own way. So for me, I was, like, as Dad was very, very terminal, like, um, I was just burying my head in my schoolwork. Mm. And I got really good marks, like, you know, a month or so after he passed away. So people couldn't understand how I could do that. Mm. But that was my way of coping. My brother went the other way. He was out and about, you know, meet, meeting up with his friends and staying staying out of out of home. Yeah. Um, and mum was kind of in this up and down emotional roller yeah. coaster. Um, periods of anger, periods of depression, just all sorts of stuff going on there. Yeah. How old was your dad when he passed? So he was forty four. Just turned forty four. When wow. I think, yeah, he would have been into his forty fourth year. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's hard. Um, when you hit 44, you realise how young it was. At the time, I thought, oh, you know, bit, he's pretty yeah. old. You know, he's in his 40s. Everyone was saying, mm. and, oh, it's terrible. Your, your dad's so young. And I went, well, when you're 16, you're like, well, dad's pretty pretty yeah. old. <laughs> but when you get to 44, you're like, wow, it's actually not that old. Yeah, especially now that you're in your 60s and you've yeah. outlived him. <laughs> exactly. You know. It's a blessing. Yeah. Do you know what? I, I thank God every day. For, 
every day that I've lived longer than my dad. I know it's a That's weird good. thing, but it's something that I think about a lot. That's good. And it's, I'm thankful. You know, yeah. my wife says, you know, living, getting old is a, is a privilege. Yeah. And I think it is. Yeah, that's a really good saying. My brother yeah. and I have got friends that, from school days that have passed away already, you know, through wow. cancer, heart attacks, all sorts of stuff's happened. So mm. you just got to be thankful. And you're yeah. you're actually got a very, you know, young look about you as well. I would have not guessed that you were in your 60s, oh, to be honest. Oh, thank you. You've made my day. Yeah, awesome. yeah. <laughs> I feel like you should have a few more wrinkles. <laughs> <laughs> It'll come. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, okay, so you you're about in your twenties, I suppose. Now you would have just finished school, done well at school. Yeah, and um, yeah, what ended up happening? Well, there's that? one significant event that happened before my twenties. Oh, okay, um, so when so when I was going to leave school at the end of sixth form and go and study graphic design. Yeah. But when my dad passed away, I just felt I needed to keep things stable, you know, like not bring too much change after that. So I wisely stayed at school for seven form. And during seven form, I saw a poster on the wall at school in the notice in the notice board that said, um, "Friends of the Pacific, we're actually a organisation that takes young people out overseas um, for an overseas experience." And I thought, "Wow!" I felt my dad saying that um, he would like me to do that. It's a weird thing, um, but I felt that that's something my dad would have been pleased for me to do. Mm. So I actually applied for that that trip. And they were doing them every school holiday. So this was mm. started by an MP, I think, in New Zealand. And every school holiday, they'd take high school kids out over to the islands uh, cool. for work parties. Yeah. Yeah. Which islands? Uh, so we, Tonga, Samoa, Fiji. So we went to Tonga in 1980 oh, yeah? um, as, as a group of young Kiwis that never even knew each other, all from different schools in New Zealand. Yeah. And we did this three-week uh, amazing outreach thing, uh, just work, like a, trying to help the local people. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So it was nothing to do with Christian at that time. It was just a, like a work outreach. <laughs> Funny thing was, I mean, ne- it was never advertised as a Christian organization, but the people that took us, the team leaders that took us to Tonga, they were Anglican um, ministers, yeah, oh, him yeah. and his wife. So there was a bit of Christian input there. And then when we arrived in Tonga, <clears throat> excuse me, it was the week of um, prayer and fasting. It's the, the first week in Tonga <laughs> in January is the week of, pr- week of prayer and fasting. So you've got to go to church four times a day. Oh, wow. And the first service starts at like five in the morning. So we were like... <laughs> bunch of Kiwi kids going, what are we doing? You know, we started complaining and moaning, like, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? You know? Yeah. And the leader said, no, you're in this culture. You have to do what the local people do that week. Yep. And we couldn't understand a word of all the sermons and preaching that was going on. And we used to count the lizards and things that were walking, geckos oh, and yeah. things, you know, watch the geckos. That was our favorite way of yep. passing the time away in the church. But it had a big impact on my life. It did. Trip. Huge impact. And in which way? I remember <clears throat> on the plane on the way back from Tonga, we had to write in a diary as a team. And a lot of us were writing, this is the most amazing thing we've ever done in our lives. And it's had a huge impact on us. And I remember thinking, even then at 18, one day I'd love to be able to do this as a job. Like wow. actually go and work in the islands and, and do this kind of work. Yeah. Man. There's a big seed was planted. Yeah. yeah. Mm. That's cool. Eh? Uh, I'd, I'm a big believer that God shows us almost these mini windows yes. of where he wants us to go in the future. Yeah. Um, and 
we end up walking those years later and you go, hang on, I've kind of been here before. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Where has this yeah. thought process come back, yeah. come from? And you reverse engineer your thoughts and you go, oh, oh my God, yeah. it actually showed me this ages ago. Yeah, and that's really been a very, very strong theme in my life. So just to give you an example of that, when I was about 11 years old, we did our first trip to Fiji as a family, just as a vacation. Oh, yeah. And we ended up staying in a town called Latoka in Fiji. And I remember thinking, wow, this is a really cool town. I really love this town, you know. And then... A, at the end of our trip, my dad was saying, he was always dreaming about the future, like, if we ever move to Fiji, where we live as a family? And we all said, Latoka, that's our most favourite town. Oh. 40 years later, I'm living there with my family doing missions You're in Latoka. <laughs> that is so cool. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, the seeds, yeah, they're yeah. sown all through your young life. Yeah. That's true, because you had uh, gone to Fiji as a kid. Yep. Parents gone mm. to Vanuatu. Yes. And then you've gone on this missions trip yep. with all around Tonga and those That's different right. islands. Yep. And um, then, for, like I said, 40 years later, you're doing yep. that. We're living there. Yep. Yeah. That is so, so neat. So tell, tell me a little bit about your 20s then. Well, 20s, I, um, at the end of the seventh form, I decided, yeah, I'm going to do architecture. Well, at the start of that year, I shifted from graphic design to architecture. Because it had been another kind of a thought that maybe I should do that. So I did a degree at Auckland University for four mm. years. Um, I had Christian friends there, which is interesting. So I had an openness to Christianity, mm. but um, they could never really convert me. Yeah. <laughs> they would try and convert me. They even kind of um, booby-trapped me one time, and there was about five or six of them in one room. And they were reading to me you know, and challenging me, saying, why aren't you a Christian? And I said, well... I think the bottom line for me is I don't want to let go control of my own life. Mm. So I was quite independent um, and determined, you know, that I knew where I wanted to go. I always found that a funny argument because it has nothing to do with the truth. Yeah, that's right. It's just your construction of the truth, which you think is true, but it's not. uh, It's true, but like regardless if you believe you have control or not, if there is a God, you can still try and believe you have control, but... It doesn't change the truth that you don't. That's right. You know, like yeah. it's yeah. it's this, but you could almost convert that answer into, I'm actually just ignoring the potential truth to this. That's right. Because it might cause me to change. Yeah. I mean, I had um, a friend of mine who was a vegetarian. Yeah. And she said to me, oh, actually I said to her, um, Claire, are you, you're a vegetarian. Can you tell me why? And she says, yeah, I um." I asked her, is it for ethical reasons or for health reasons? And yep. she said both. And I was like, okay, um, tell me why why it is. And she goes, well, I watched this documentary. And I go, oh, okay, what's it called? She goes, oh, it's called such and such documentary. Would you like to watch it? And I love my meat, right? <laughs> so I, I immediately <laughs> said, no, don't ever show me this documentary. And she looks at me real sternly sternly because it's like an ethical thing for her as well. So she feels morally obligated to sort of tell me. And she goes, why? Why why do you not want to see this truth of the reason why I don't eat meat? I said, because if I am aware of the truth, and if you show me, (laughs) I might be forced to change. (laughs) I said, I can't undo that. Once I've seen how the pigs turn into bacon, I can't undo that. 
And um, so I've never seen this documentary still. And uh, I always convert that back to like the Christianity. Yeah. We sometimes sit in this place and we know that there's probably a truth to it. And but we don't dig too deep into it knowingly because if we do, we can't unknow that. <laughs> yeah, you can't ignore it. Like once it's been shown to you, your eyes have been opened. Yeah, yeah. How do you ignore that? Yeah. And then you go, and man, now I'm at, I'm really at a crossroads because I ha- I can't undo this. Yeah. So that's probably, I would say, where you were. Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, it was like, I think because you just left home, you know, and things weren't great with mum. She'd, she'd actually remarried at that point when I started oh, yeah. uni. So, and I didn't, my brother and I didn't really like our stepdad that much either. So for yep. me, it was like, oh, I'm just breaking out of home, starting my new career kind of thing, you know. So it was, mm. it's like I thought I had everything together. Mm. And um, so these guys were like, do you believe the Bible's true? And I'm like, yep. Do you believe Jesus died for your sins? And I'm like, yep. And then they're like, well, why aren't you a Christian? And I'm like, well, because I really just want to do my own thing. Oh, man, <laughs> you were know? like, like a step so further. I was like, yeah. <laughs> You're like, I know this is something I should be doing. Oh, yeah. I was like, no, I, you know, I believe that Jesus was the Savior, but I just didn't want to particularly follow him at that point. Yeah. I feel like there's the power of pondering at that point. Yeah. Where somebody's posed these questions to you. And you're going, yes, I understand. I agree. I understand. Yeah. Be quiet. Stop telling me about. Stop That's telling right. me about this truth. Don't, I, I, don't I get it. it. I don't want to know it. <laughs> but you already know it. Yeah, you already and know. then there's the power of pondering, which is yeah. pretty much yeah. what C.S. Lewis did. Yeah. His conversion is just from pondering and pondering yeah. and pondering. And now you've just been told this stuff. You've even acknowledged it to yourself. Yeah. Yes, Jesus is real. The Bible's true. And and I'm still not interested. <laughs> But because the, you know, it's got through that mind, through yeah. that heart, yeah. you 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 have to sit with that information. And even in your most dull days, when you've got nobody to talk to, no distractions, yeah. Yeah. that's where those thoughts come. And you're just going, oh, I'm well, going to have to change soon, no. maybe tomorrow. And well, it, just <laughs> it was interesting because I had a good friend at, at university who was in the same class as me in year three. And he actually left studying architecture to join the ministry. Oh, wow. And so I watched his journey over those months, you know. And I said, Alistair, why are you doing this? Like, you're a really good designer. You could have a great career. And he's Mm. like, no, Greg, God's called me to go into the ministry. I'm like, wow. And no one in the class mocked him or ridiculed him. Everyone knew that he was a genuine person who was true to his convictions. And Mm. so we all, like, went, wow, we really respect your decision. And Alistair said to me, on the, I think it was the day he left, he said, Greg, you're really stubborn. He said, you're really open, but I don't think you'll become a believer for about 10 years. And this is I was 19 when he told me that, and I was 29 when I got saved. You're kidding. So he, prof- he prophetically, I don't even know if he was... Meaning to. It was just maybe his best <laughs> guess, but he was like, I think that you'll be a, quite a journey for you, and it'll be like 10 years before you get saved. Yeah, so... <laughs> He was very accurate. That's awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. Um, do you still have uh, ties with Alistair? I actually um, looked him up in a phone book one time. I've never actually met him since. So, Alistair, if you're listening, I'd love to meet up. But, um, yeah, he um, he became a minister, an Anglican minister in Auckland. Yep. Oh, yeah. And I think he's still there ministering. Yeah, so. That's cool. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, wow. 
So what brought you to the point? So you're in your 20s. You do yeah. get converted at 29. What was the event that happened? Oh, yeah, okay. That? It's quite a series of, yes, yeah, so I... Or, yeah, lots of different yeah, things yeah. that it's happened. it's kind of a progressive story. So uh, finished uni. I got an honours degree, which is awesome. Like, I couldn't believe that. And then I thought, I just need to kind of do something else. I'm, I don't want to sit in an office straight away. So I went building for a while. I went orcharding for a while. I went building... Eventually headed over to Australia later that, that first year I was out of university um, and got a job working in Kellogg's in oh, a wow. factory in Sydney. So I was yeah. just, it's interesting because I was only going to go to Australia for a few months just to have a look-see. And I started meeting a lot of travellers, backpackers mm. that were travelling. And I thought, you know what, they're just the same age as me. I could do what they're doing. So it just gave me the vision to travel. Mm. So I decided, okay, I'm going to earn, save money in Australia and go travelling. So uh, that was the plan, yep. Okay. So which point were you starting to go, maybe God's got me on the ropes and pulling me in? Well, I think for me, because <clears throat> when those guys sort of bundled me in that room and kind of said, why aren't you a believer, it was kind of a defining moment for me. And it was mm. almost like I'd put a stake in the ground saying, no, I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah. And I felt like, when I look back, I think the Lord was just sort of going, okay, I'm going to let you do what you want to do, and we'll see how that works out. So he mm. kind of took his hands off me in my early 20s. So sort of sounds like the prodigal son. Yeah. You know that story, and yeah. he's um, going, I want my inheritance early <laughs> so I can do my own thing. That's it. <laughs> Very much like, you know, I just, well, see, when I saw dad, because my dad came up to me when he was probably 40 and said, I'm going to be retired at 50 because he'd been investing wisely in properties and things. So he was saying to me, um, you know, I'm going to do just have a good time after that. And so when I watched him pass away of cancer at 40, 43, 44, mm. I thought, what's the point of just working and saving all your life when you can, you know, you can have a good time? So my 20s were all about, I'm just going to do what I want to do. Mm. And I'm going to travel and I'm going to party. Life is short. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just mm. enjoy today. So that, Which I, is actually a biblical thing. I very much <laughs> swung from being conservative planner to being, hey, I'm just going to have have a party. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So obviously that runs dry. That type of <laughs> lifestyle, doesn't it? When you're doing your own thing, because you're almost on the hunt for the next big thing. That's always. Right. That's right. And so that whole traveling thing led me to um, just discovering what I thought was the ultimate thing. So I end up working in the Greek islands on an island teaching windsurfing. Awesome. So I'm a windsurfing instructor in the middle of the Greek islands on this beautiful island called Eos, which is known as the party island to a lot of backpackers. And I ended up living there for about three months. Yeah. And I thought, I initially thought that was the ultimate. Yeah. And then I realized that it's actually quite empty. Um, so, you know, just about every night you're out partying with people you'd met on the beach and things like that. And they'd, they'd say, oh, come out with us. You taught us mm. how to windsurf. Now we want to take you out, you know, and all yeah. this sort of stuff. But it was really empty. It was yeah. really shallow. And everyone there is just there for a good time. And mm. they didn't want to forget about their own issues. So you just kind of longed for something deeper than what people were really, yeah. how they were interacting. So after a few months of that, I was just like over it. I was just like. At the end of three months, I was like, I hate this island. I want to get off this place. This is not what I thought it was going to be. I'm from uh, Queenstown in yeah. New Zealand. Oh, so you'd know exactly what that's yeah. like. Yeah. Well, we have not not windsurfing, but we have snowboarding yeah. and skiing. Yeah. And uh, 
I didn't know this until I had done Youth with the Mission in 2017. Yep. That um, the snow culture is the highest sport culture for suicide. Wow. And the reasoning is because if you – snowboarding and skiing is so picturesque. So yeah. when you see photos or videos, it's beautiful. Like mountains with snow on it are stunning to look at. Yeah. It looks amazing. It just oh, – it's always the perfect day as well on those yeah. photos. Yeah. And um, But one thing that photos don't portray – as it's cold, it's freezing, <laughs> and um, that when people come up and they do these snowboarding and skiing trips, most people have hit rock bottom yeah. or they they chase these winters, and what they're doing is they're, they're chasing that image of yeah. perfection, that yeah. it looks stunning, it looks beautiful, if I could just be there, I'll be happy. <laughs> yeah, And it's a false... False sense of security. Like if I just do this, and I'm happy. It's that yeah. next big thing, yeah. and it's it's sad because that's people get to this point and they go, nothing. Surely nothing can beat that. Yep. Surely nothing can beat windsurfing. Surely nothing that's can right. beat that's this. The ultimate. This Greek island that yeah. I'm at. Yeah. Surely nothing can beat this mountain that I'm at. Right. Maybe I'll go to the next mountain and that's it might right. be better. Yeah. But you do that long enough, you realize they're the same but different. They're still the same, yeah. a little bit different. Yeah. And then if in their mind, in the snow culture, they go, if this is the best there is, I don't like being here because yeah. I've yeah. hit the top. Yeah. And that's where depression hits and, yeah. and yeah. suicide rates go up. So but that's when God's needed yeah. because in the same sense, and you could do this with almost any sport, you can see the amazing creation in, on the beach with the Greek islands. You can see it in the mountains with snowboarding. And for me now, I go up snowboarding and I could be like, I ski right around the back where nobody can see me and I like get on my <laughs> knees and start worshipping. Because yeah. I just can't get over the amazingness of God because yeah. my eyes have been opened. I've watched that documentary. <laughs> yeah, you've because you're also becoming a thankful person rather than a taker. Whereas yeah. for me, it was all like, what can the world give me? True. You know, yeah. like, what can it offer me mm. for my own pleasure? Yeah. Whereas I think, yeah, like you're saying, is that you just give thanks to a creator mm. who's out there and who's made all this, and you're like, wow, this is incredible. You know? Yeah. But yeah, I certainly wasn't thinking like that in the Greek islands. Yeah, wow. Mm. Okay, so was it the Greek islands, or did you come back to. New Zealand or Australia um, or wherever you were residing yeah, to find so, the Lord. So after um, Greece, I went into Turkey um, and discovered a whole, like I'd always imagined Muslim countries to be quite risky and dangerous and scary and mm. discovered everything but that. The people were really friendly. They loved New mm. Zealanders because of Gallipoli. Yeah. So for me, it was like, a, wow, there's an incredible mm. people out here. I wish I'd spent... Three months in Turkey and not three months in Greece. That was yeah, true. Yeah. Um, so that was that had a big significant impact. And then yeah, back to London for to save a ticket to fly home. So mm. came back to New Zealand uh, in eighty eight and really didn't know at that point kind of what I wanted to do. But I had to kind of get a job and try and mm. try and make a life back home, and that was very hard. Yeah, true. And was that hard because you had been living this? Yeah. Lifestyle yeah. of adventure, yeah, beforehand. and then you come back to tiny little tin pot town. Mm. Well, Taronga wasn't too big in those days, yeah. Um, 
and you kind of you've been in a big international scene in London working for a big company, and then all of a sudden you're like back working, and I was working within literally one mile of my kindergarten. Really? <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I've come just back to come where I was born. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. And you, so you said you have a wife. Yeah. Were you together with your wife at that no, point? No, I was still single, um, still, yeah, kind of like Rod Stewart, footloose, fancy free, you know, self, I think it is. Um, yep. Yeah, I was kind of like still in that mode. So mm-hmm. I was but a very keen windsurfer at that point. I had a windsurfer pretty much on my car the whole time. Mm. And I had a good job where I could just work my own hours. And if the wind was up, then they never saw me. I was always out windsurfing. Cool. I realised, you know, it was kind of like my escape. Windsurfing yeah. was my way of dealing with stuff I could get out on the waves and water and yeah. life you know it was simple out there yeah yeah okay and what about your brother was he my bro um he was uh, he actually went over to London as I was leaving so we actually met up sort of past the baton he was coming oh, into yeah. the UK and I was leaving so he ended up living over there for about five years so I didn't see a lot of him in that time yeah okay mm. All right, so how old are you now that you've come back from? So I'm 27 when I came back um, into New Zealand. Uh, and then what happened was the 88 stock market crash happened and the company I was working with ran out of work. Mm. So they said, we we're going to have to you know, lay you off sort of thing. And um, I was thinking of going back to Australia because I had worked over there before. And uh, over a game of tennis... Uh, one of the guys said to me, oh, my partner's heading to Papua New Guinea and he's looking for a young guy to come with him. So I went down to the interview. I found out later I was the only one that applied for the job. And uh, he gave me, yeah, he, a couple of days later, he said, yep, if you want to come, it's going to be a six-month contract. I thought, oh, it's easy. I can handle, should be able to handle six months up there. And then they came back when I was signing and they said, we want you for a year. And I thought, yeah, I can still do a year. Even if I don't like it, I'll do a year. Okay. Could be a great adventure. So ended up heading up to Papua New Guinea in 89. Yeah. What was the job that you were doing there? Working for an engineering company, um, but okay. we were in-house architects. So they'd got offside with every other company in, in the Port Moresby. So they mm. decided to employ their own architects from New Zealand. So we were we were the two guys they employed to work for the for the company. Yeah. Wow. Which is hard working for engineers. They think very differently. Yeah. You know, you don't have the artistic freedom that you'll have if you're working for a architect. So mm. it was challenging. Yeah. Okay. So you're 27, 28 Yeah, 28, yeah. And you're in Papua New Guinea. Yeah, I'm in Papua New Guinea. So I'm having fairly good time, a bit stressful with work, just with getting on with some of the guys there, but... Um, I, I joined a thing called Hash House Harriers. I don't know if you heard of them, but every Monday night they do like an orienteering run. It's just a social thing, and you set a course, and people take turns every week to set the course, and, and then at the end of it you lay on a couple of kegs for the boys, and you, you know it's just a big kind of booze up on a Monday night, so Tuesdays are right off at work. But uh, So you'd run through villages as well. Yeah. Um, you know, so you'd set courses and kids would come up to you who'd never touched uh, a westerner before and they'd want to touch their hand with your hand and all this sort of stuff so it's quite an interesting <laughs> experience but one day one night I um, the guys noticed my leg was bleeding and and they said oh what's happened to your leg and I said oh what do you mean they're like oh it looks like a melanoma and I said no way and they said yeah we just watched a documentary on um, 
TV and uh, satellite television from Australia, and they were identifying what melanomas look like, and it looks like that's one on your leg. And I went, "Your, you know, I was just shocked because, mm. of course, my dad passed yeah. away the same thing. So I'm like, oh, my goodness. So that just absolutely – when I went to the doctor, he said, yeah, it is a melanoma. And they sent the sample to Brisbane, and I had to wait two weeks for the results. And I was just like, whoa, first time in my life that something's happened that's outside my control, mm. apart from my dad's death, obviously. But for me personally, it was like, oh, my goodness, I could be dead in a year if uh, this isn't treated. Yeah. Wow. True. It's like a slap in the face with mortality. Huge slap in the face with mortality. And I thought – you know what, if I passed away, would I be going to heaven? And I thought, no, there's no way I'll make it. Man. I'm not living a life that's pleasing to God, and I know what I need to do. Yeah, I'd already had the gospel presented to me on a number of occasions, mm. and I had every opportunity of giving my heart to the Lord, even when I was you know, 17, 18 sort of thing at uni. And I knew that somehow God was getting my attention in a big way, saying, wow. Bro, you're not in control of your own life. Yeah. Yeah. Man, because if, if that had never happened, if you'd just lived your life cruisy as, yeah. and even if you'd never got melanoma or anything like that, you would live your full life. And the I, I mean, I'm a big believer, just from the people that we've met, the longer that they're alive, yeah. the more rigid they become in yeah. their yeah. willingness to change or yeah. willingness to accept that yeah. God's real or, or not everything's in my control. Yeah. And um, it's almost... God might have known, you know, you're 29. Yep. I got 28. maybe 10 years yeah. until this guy's heart is actually going to be too hard yeah. to, to yeah. soften to, yeah. to what I've done yeah. for him. So <laughs> let's give him a bit of a scare factor. And well, he, gave me the, he gave me the shotgun, so that was one barrel. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd been, to my, I'd been the best man at my friend's wedding. My, they were both good friends of mine, and they got married. I was the best man. And then the wife wrote to me while I was in New Guinea at the same time this was going on with the cancer stuff. And she said, oh, our marriage is over and I've committed my life back to Christ. And she said, you need to do the same. So I, had, so I had this kind of like letter coming from this friend and this you know, melanoma thing going on at the same time. And I'm like, yeah, God, you're getting my attention. Wow. There's a friend of mine also. Hang on, you're, you said your wife? Uh, sorry, my my. my uh, friend's wife. Yes. Your friend's wife said that they're splitting. Um, they're splitting up. Yeah. Because she's become a Christian. No, no, no. What happened was they realized the marriage wasn't going to work. Yeah. And she came to the Lord through that marriage breakup. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she kind of, she'd been a backslidden Christian. So she sort of recommitted mm. her life back to the Lord after the marriage was over or during I that see. time. Yeah. Yeah. So she'd written to me and told me all this. It was a real shock to me because wow. I hadn't been married that long, probably less than a year. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, my goodness, what's going on? You know, like my world's completely changing and I'm not really causing any of this. Mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, all of these moving parts <laughs> like, and yeah. they're all pointing to they're the same thing. They're all pointing thing. to the same thing like, oh, man, <laughs> my life's turning to custard, you know. Like, what's happening? Okay. So, yeah, what happened after that? You obviously got well, this decision to make. Yeah, well, the good thing was that they checked um, the cancer and they said, yeah, it hasn't spread too badly and we're just going to cut more margin out around your melanoma. So they got rid of that and the doctor said, well, 
if you get one within another five years, you'll be in trouble kind of thing. So I had that kind of sentence mm. over me. I uh, got back, finished my contract, got back to New Zealand, absolutely hated being back. I got a job. The only job I could find was in Hamilton. So I go from, oh, yeah. I go from 32 degrees in Papua New Guinea <laughs> to midwinter, starting the first, I think it was the first of July, starting in Hamilton. Oh my gosh. It was horrible. It was like another way the Lord used, used to break me down. Yeah. It's like, I hate this place. I hate, you know, I don't well, I want to, don't want to live here. Mm. It's just, everything was sort of not working out. Yeah. Cause so Hamilton in winter, I mean, I'm only used to Queenstown in winter, which is like <laughs> three degrees to minus 10 degrees. What's Hamilton? Oh, Hamilton can be one, yeah, one well, degree, minus one, minus two, but yeah. it's not. So you're not, talking like a 30 degree difference. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. And, the, and of course, no one kind of like got me as well because I'd lived in this other culture and yeah. I kind of felt like I was very much True. Kiwis, in my home country. Most Kiwis sort of stay very yeah. close to home. Yeah. They don't really yeah. travel as much. And yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a unique thing to go out and live in. Greece and yeah. Turkey yeah. and Papua New That's Guinea right. and yeah. Australia even. Yeah. yeah. And then the only person that made sense to me at that time. Was, was it probably a missionary? Well, no, it was the friend that had the marriage breakup. Oh, so okay. So her and I used to, because we'd been friends before her marriage. So, yeah. So she kept, you know, inviting me over and talking about her faith. Yeah. And that was the thing that really started to change my life, yeah, was oh. her sharing, yeah. So was she just sharing a testimony? Sharing a testimony, just sharing what God was doing in her life. She'd read passages of scripture to me. She actually one day read the whole book of Ecclesiastes to me. Oh, and yeah? I said, yeah, How everything that's my sucks life. and nothing's meaningful. <laughs> I said, that, that describes my life pretty well, yeah. that book. And I love she gave Ecclesiastes. me a Bible as well. She'd given me a yeah. big Bible. And wow. I'd, I'd actually been reading it, but I didn't tell her. Because I didn't want it to get ammo, you know, like, yeah. oh, he's reading it, so he's quite close to coming to the Lord. Yeah. I didn't want that, so I was like, I'm not going to tell her. <laughs> and then she said, oh, you should come along to my church. And I said, no, nah, I don't want to go to church. I'm yeah. not going to church. You're never going to see me in a church. And she said, all right, we'll do a deal. If you become a believer, you'll go to church. And I said, yep, okay. <laughs> if I do, <laughs> I'll start attending, but I'm not attending before that. Wow. It's a ballsy, yeah. ballsy deal that she made. She must have just she sensed, yeah, I yeah. Guess, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. So, uh, how long over oh. this back and forth with <laughs> with this lady yeah. that it took for you to? I mean, because you must be about twenty eight uh, at this point. I yeah, twenty nine at this point. Yeah. So your saving day is closing in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we probably had this back and forth kind of thing going on for almost a year. And she actually one time said to me, man, you know, you're so stubborn. I think stubbornness was one of my key themes because I've been told that before, um, was that um, you know what you need to do, but you still don't want to do it. Mm. And she's in a moment of kind of, because she'd done, a, you know, shared a lot, but in a moment of desperation, she said to me, um, can I pray for you? And I said, well, I thought you would have been praying for me. And she goes, no, I'll lay hands on you. I'm like, oh, what's that? What What do you mean? She goes, oh, I'll just put my hand on your shoulder and I'll pray for you. We're sitting on a couch like this couch here. And, um, and so she just reached across and put her hand on my shoulder and just started praying and just said, Lord, you need to, you know, speak to this guy. And like, I can't do it. 
And I just felt God's love just absolutely pour into me. It was like my dad's love that I'd lost, that friendship from my father, suddenly entered my life again. It was unbelievable. It was just the the defining moment of my life was when she just laid hands. Just just a simple prayer. I just knew within a few minutes, God's real. God's there. Wow. He's my real dad. That's cool. That's really cool. Absolutely rocked me. And I was... She kind of knew. I think she knew something had happened, but she didn't say anything. I went. I drove home, trying. And to you forget, were trying to. Cont- I'm trying to forget about it. all this. As I'm well. trying to contain it. I'm trying to go. Oh, this isn't happening, you know. <laughs> and then I get home and I just. Oh, I'll just turn on TV, turn on the TV and watch this program. It was called Reflecting on Life or something, and it was. And and I just started getting drawn into this program, and they were talking about life issues. I don't know what it was um, at that point, but. I just thought, wow, these guys are speaking truth. And then when the credits came up at the end of the program, it said Christian Broadcasting Association or something. I went, oh, no, it's like it's happening again. So then I went to bed, and, I, and then I just felt prompted to pick up the Bible she'd loaned me. So I just picked it up, and I just flung it open. And, it, and I flung it open, and she'd highlighted a verse on the page, Matthew 7, 7, you know. What's Matthew 7, 7? It's, it's about asking, knocking, seeking, oh, find, yeah. knock and the door will be open to you. <laughs> and that, that I really felt God say to me, I've been um, wanting you, to, I've been seeking you all your life, mm. and this is kind of your last, I felt it was like my defining moment in life. I needed to make the choice that night. Yeah. And the whole thing about knocking on the door is quite significant. And it, and, it, and it goes back to what happened to me when I was probably about, 10, 11 years old at a motor camp in the South Island where a group of, uh, I think they were outreach, an outreach team came into the motor camp and they were handing out tracts and they gave the kids tracts. So I picked up a little tract and as I was walking back to my mum and dad's tent, it said, you need to open the door of your heart to receive Christ. It was out of revelation, I think. Hmm. And I actually prayed that prayer when I was 10 and never told anyone. I never told my mum and dad. I never told my brother. I never told anyone. And so when I read Matthew 7, 7, when I'm 29 years old, it links back to that time. Mm. And it was almost like God was doing another overwrite. Yeah. And I went, yeah, I know what I need to do. I need to open my heart to you, Lord. So I prayed in my bed that night, just before midnight, um, and just said, Lord, here I am, and I'm you know, a sinner, and I need your forgiveness, and I want to live you know, your way from now on. I don't want to live my – I've tried that. It doesn't work. Wow. You know? And I just surrendered my life there and then. And the next morning, I was just like a different person. It was incredible. I rang my friend that had prayed for me, and, I, and she said, I know something's happened to you. You've, you know, you've come into the kingdom sort of thing. So it was wow. just absolute – lifting of weight that had been on me for so many years. I literally walked around on air for the next six months. That's what wow. it felt like. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I love one of the quotes of uh, C.S. Lewis. He says, um, for the things of this world grow strangely dim. Yeah, in the light um, of his glory and grace. Yeah, and yeah. it's just amazing that, I mean, I had the same thing, you know, like yeah. felt almost like there was a, everything was unfocused. Yeah. And grade, yep. and it just there wasn't enough color in anything outside of his purpose. Yeah, and yeah, it's it's powerful. <laughs> and when you start just obeying that trend, okay, yeah. I'm gonna just walk one step at a time where yes. he's obviously telling me to go. Yeah, 
and you see whole mountains shift for you. Yep. You know, God's gone, look, I love you, I got you, and um, just keep going. So beyond the place of hopelessness and surrender, there's a whole new life that he wants to give you, you know, and that's what I discovered. Like, I'd actually tried everything else, you know, yeah, all the things that I thought was going to make my life meaningful and happy, and um, and I realized there was nothing there for me. It was my own construct, as you were saying, about constructing your own truth and stuff. Yeah. And it actually wasn't working. It, it didn't actually work out. And I think when I had the cancer thing, it was like that reinforced that. Yeah. That in fact, your life isn't all about what you control. You can't. Mm. There's things in your life that you cannot control. Yeah. And so what's your response to that going to be? And that's, that's so why good. I started thinking about things mm. you know, that were eternal. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. So your focus had switched from things that are temporary to things that are eternal. I think I've been really on a spiritual search over particularly probably the last year before I came to Christ. I was actually reading other stuff too. I was looking at Buddhist stuff. I was looking at Hindu stuff. But nothing really sort of sat right with me. So I just would read things and go, oh, yeah, that's kind of nice, the noble truths or whatever. But really it didn't seem to be like, oh, I think I don't know if this would really work for me. You know, Mm. like it wasn't – I was fairly practical, so I was like – yeah, I, I agree with some of the things they're saying, but it didn't really give me the, it didn't feel like it was like the key to a life. Mm. Yeah. I think when you start really looking for truth as well, you have to measure things against some sort of standard of truth. Yeah. And it's something that Jordan Peterson had has said before, is when you're looking at the Bible, it's the only book in history that everything is sort of stacked upon. And the more things that rely upon something else, the more truthful or stable that foundation has to be. So all literature is weighed and measured at the base of it is the Bible. And when we are searching for that truth, like there's one thing about looking at Buddha or the Greek gods or whatever you want to be looking into. But then you've got to look at what truth do we use in philosophy and, and all that or all of literature today that is dependent upon something else. Yep. You follow that line of thought long enough, it hits the Bible every time. Yeah. And it's not only that the Bible's got a truth to it, you got every single verse in the Bible, every single sentence, chapter, book, mm. but even every single word and verse, people have written commentaries, volumes, libraries. Yeah backing on this one book. So you got this one book, which is a library of books, but every single verse in that book has libraries dependent mm. on those. Mm. And then you're going, how, if, if this wasn't real, we would have figured it out. If mm. this wasn't true, we would have figured it out. It's not only true, but it's way more than just true. It is the truth yep. that everything else is dependent on. Yep. And I'm, I'm sure you would, searching in that sense and that lens of I'm looking for truth but truth that has substance and backing to make sure that I know that the truth is true yeah <laughs> I think my whole traveling in the 20s was all was was a search to find out how shall a man live how shall you live what's the best way of living in this mm. world and that's what I was looking for mm. and ultimately for me it wasn't so much the words and the pages of the Bible that actually showed me that God was real. It was actually a supernatural encounter mm. for a prayer time. And that experience, yeah. So 
I was I was the kind of person that you could argue black and blue and talk and discuss scriptures and all the rest, but yeah. it was never going to get me into the kingdom. It had to be something yeah. beyond that. And and it was love. Mm. It was actually experiencing love again that I'd lost so long ago mm. um, since I was 16 years old. Yeah, Father's love. And I remember that that week that I'd given my heart to the Lord, I remember I felt like the Lord was saying to me, your earthly father has gone, but I'm your real father, and I'll never leave you. And that's just been my sustaining that's cool. thing all my life. Yeah, since that time. Yeah, yeah. And did you feel almost complete? Like there was something that yeah, was missing definitely. that whole time. I think it. I could start to make sense of the world and everything, and and I could start to see decisions that people were making, and what I could see where that could lead, and and so. Like you said, I think you mentioned something about everything seeming grey, like every, mm. everything's a bit jumbled, and that was my life in my 20s. And then when I came to Christ, I could start to see, oh, there is order. You know, God mm. is at work here. There is there is a foundation that you can put your feet on that's going to be stable, and you're going to be able to build your life off that. Mm. And I've seen God rebuild my life ever since that. Hmm. first um, initial, like, yes, Lord, I'm in. So yeah. I'm not sure what this is all going to mean, but hmm. I've seen him build a beautiful life since then, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, here's a good question. Since you're yeah. such a stubborn person, <laughs> have you felt that stubbornness carry over into your Christian walk in a good way? Yeah, I think it, I think it's become determination <laughs> rather than stubbornness. I'm open to being corrected. Um, oh, yeah. Very open. Yeah. But I think it, there's a certain tenacity and determination and kind of seeing a direction and actually going for it has very much been my life. And mm. I think that can be used in missions quite powerfully. Yeah. Mm. But you, ha- you have a, a certain goal and you don't let anything waver you from that and you'll just go for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely can be redeemed, but stubbornness isn't a good thing as a believer, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> so that hard heart that yeah, actually became yeah. soft. I think it's rooted in pride. Like, I, I've, got yeah. it, I've got it together. I see, I did some door-to-door a while ago in New Zealand, and I saw that with a lot of the, you know, when mm. we were talking to people at their doorsteps. It's like, oh, I'm okay, mate. I'm all right, mate. And you know mm. they're not, mm. but they just have this, Stubborn, bravado, independent. I think it's part of our culture. And you can't intellectually no. Uh, you'll never argue. Talk with, about that. No, no, no. Yeah. So, yeah. And you would know this from experience because different. you had so many opportunities of people oh, telling you so you know, many opportunities. Jesus it's loves you. This is the Bible. This is the reason it's true. Right to the point where you're like, I even agree with all of that. Yes, right. <laughs> it's kind of silly when you look and you think of it, isn't it? But yeah. I mean, I can, I can just, I can imagine what your friends, your Christian friends, were just going. How the heck are we gonna get this guy yeah. to understand? Yeah, because they were going. Well, he does understand. Yeah, he does understand. Yeah. yeah. So that's when, because um, like, c- yeah. the Bible says, you know, like just present the gospel and let the let the Holy Spirit do the rest. I could understand the the gospel and what Jesus had done for me. I couldn't understand what the Christian life would be like because oh, yeah. all I could imagine was oh, I just have to go to church and do what I used to do when I was a kid. Yeah. So for me, it was like, oh, that's the thing that I don't want to go into. Mm. Like, oh, I'm just going to become a good little Christian and go to church and mm. pay my tithe or whatever. But I didn't want a life like that. 
Yeah. So, but I've realised that God's actually into adventure. Yeah. And I'm in this amazing organisation where we do do a lot of that sort of stuff. So, come on. Yeah. That's so, awesome. So, yeah. Um, did you learn to hear God's voice through this conversion or over time? And how do you hear His voice? Uh, I think I think that's progressive, and I think I was actually hearing His voice before I kind of officially got saved if that makes sense. So there was yep. God was speaking to me and things that were happening. Like when my friend wrote to me, I felt like, yeah, God's speaking to me that yeah, I need to, he's getting my attention. So mm. definitely through events, circumstances and people. But I think um, when I joined um, YWAM um, that I learned a lot more about how you hear and you, you know, there's different ways through the word and things like that. Mm. But, um, and of course the Matthew 7, 7 was so powerful. I knew God speaking directly to me through those words and yeah. realizing that I'd actually heard him back when I was 10 yeah. and that revelation passage as well about the door, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And mm. and so, yeah, so I've been hearing him since I was probably yeah. very young. You know. I feel when you were saying about that Matthew 7, yeah. 7 where he stands at the door and knocks yeah. and that moment of conversion that you had yeah. when you opened that door yeah. and you said something really key, I think was really neat was I felt that this was my last chance. Yeah. And when I hear that, it sounds like you open the door and Jesus is saying, are you going to slam it on me <laughs> and keep me out? Because now you've seen me. Yeah. You've experienced me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I couldn't deny. You know, your friend prayed for you, and you had couldn't that deny that love. he was real. And yeah. you're looking at him in the face, <laughs> and you're going, "Yes or no?" <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, and I I had no other options. I just exhausted the possibilities that I thought I had for myself. <laughs> so it was kind of like a no-brainer. It was a little like yeah. I got nothing to lose here. You know, I'm just going to surrender. I didn't know what I was going to look like. Yeah, honestly, I had no idea. But I just thought, oh, I got nothing to lose. This is this is it. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to surrender. I give up. I've tried Good. it my own way all my 20s. It hasn't worked. I'm still doing what I did at 19, and I'm mm. doing it at 29, so there's nothing working for me. I'm still single. I don't, I'm in a job I don't like. You know, it was all mm. that stuff. It was just like, this is the end of the road. I'm actually wearing a T-shirt that's from our, our website, the Jesus Magnet, and it's inspired by another similar testimony, and the guy said in it, so we created this T-shirt for... Um, inspirations of what people, real people have said on our yeah, podcast. Yeah. And it's tried everything. <laughs> Why not try Jesus? <laughs> Which is kind of what my friend said to me. <laughs> you know, like she was saying that in her letters, like, you need to try Jesus. Get reconnected yeah. with Jesus and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, oh, it's another radical Christian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, it's so funny, eh? Like, I think, um, it's so true, though, you know, like, you, you're just going to be at the top of that mountain, you're going to have all the beauty, and you're still going to feel empty. Yeah, you you're going to be on the beach, and you're going to have yeah. the incredible oh, waves and oh. the stunning sunsets, and it's, you're still going to feel empty <sighs> at the end. And what truly satisfies the human soul yeah. and has that God-shaped hole in their it's life, different. and that's all that can fill up. Yeah. Yeah. So, Greg, what, what are some challenges that you've had being a follower of Christ? Uh, wow. Um, I think, well, for me, getting married was a challenge. You know, cause, um, 
I'd seen my mum go through a divorce. That's probably part of the story I didn't mention before, but that was after she remarried. Didn't last long, her marriage. Um, so I saw her go through that. So I had a few friends as well, like I mentioned, divorce. So I had a very negative view of marriage. So for me, that was a big challenge. It was actually a faith step for me to get married because I'd yep. lived a long time as a single guy. Mm. Um, and I think... The Lord's done a lot of work in me through that. Um, there's nothing, you know. It's one thing to live alone and you don't have to face anything. When you get married, you have to face a person in the same room, sort of thing. How, how old were you when you got married? So I was 36 when I got married. You're 36. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I thought. My I was going to say because you've got like hardly any wrinkles. Yeah. I was going to say it's got to be a later, wife, It's got to be a later marriage. My wife feeds me well. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I when I got saved at 29, I thought, oh, there's plenty of nice young Christian girls in the church. I'll get married in no time. It was actually seven years almost to the day from when I got baptized to when really? I got married. Yeah, it was literally the same weekend, seven years later. Wow. So I'm like, okay, look, it's your story. It ain't my story. That's I think cool. you were talking about that before the interview. It was like yeah. that God's got a bigger story that you're plugging into his story now. Mm. And that's, We're part of it, but yeah. it's his story. But he takes you through some hard stuff. So I, you know, I've had to work through like family of origins, a really big one in marriage. Like mm. her family operated very differently from my family, and so mm. that's been a, a tension point for us in our marriage. Nice. And you find there are challenges like that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Is there anything about marriage that you'd like to share for anybody listening? It's a wonderful thing. But just make sure the Lord's in it. Yeah. Yes. Don't do it for the wrong reasons. Because um, an unhappy single. You won't be happy married if you're unhappy as a single. Yeah, I was quite happy being a single. I mean, I did have a heart's desire to be married, but it wasn't like I was pining for it. Yeah, and I'd come to a place where I was okay being a single Christian guy in my thirties. Mm. Of course, a lot of the people in the church want to marry with whoever mm. walks in the door, but I knew that I said, "Lord, I'm not going to just kind of run around and look for someone, but I'm going to wait because I read that Eve was brought to Adam. Mm. So, Lord." I'm in faith saying that you're going to bring my wife to me. I won't have to look for her. Well, and the Bible says that when, yeah. and, and also uh, we've got a, a friend of mine, I won't say who it is, but yeah. she um, is always looking for a husband, yeah. which is great, you know, yeah. and, and a godly man, she's got a very good standard. And um, we remind her every once in a while that the Bible says when the man finds his wife, yeah. not when the wife finds his man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. um, yeah, no, she's she's an amazing girl, and and I'm sure God's gonna have the perfect person for her. Yep. Um. So now that you have been a Christian, you've had you know pretty much thirty years, half your life yep. being away from God, yep. or not being away not from God, being away, but he's been but there. choosing to look the other way, and yep. he's been choosing pretty close look. the whole time. He's been there all the time. Yeah. yeah. So you've had half your life like that, and the other half yeah. knowing Christ yeah. and and yeah. looking at him face to face. Would you say that your life now is more fulfilled with Christ? Oh, hugely. I mean, there's no comparison. What I look when I look at what I had in my twenties, it was it was extremely empty and very selfish. Yeah, and there was never going to be any happiness in that in that in those years. I didn't know that at the time, but when I look back, I go, "Yeah, I wasted." I feel like I wasted a lot. I know it's mm. you know you can cry over that, but it's the reality is I actually wasted a lot of time. Yeah, and I didn't build anything because I couldn't build anything. Mm. Yeah, so you said earlier that you uh, now are doing YWAM. Yeah, you're a staff with Youth with a Mission. Yeah, I'm full time with YWAM now. So I left my, I actually left my career. So I did have quite a good career as an architect. Um, 
which is another whole part of the story. But um, I, yeah, we can go there if you want. Oh yeah, sure. Yes, yeah, so I I worked um, um, for a number of companies overseas. I worked in Australia and worked in London for a company. Um, came back to New Zealand, worked in Hamilton for another company, and then I, after I left that company, I actually felt to go out on my own. I'd just become a new believer at that point, and I felt the Lord say, yes, stay and work from home. So I did that for quite a number of years. And then when I was in my early 40s, I felt the Lord say, I want you to give up working from home and give up your business and join a company. So I ended up um, joining a, a really neat company, which actually was Hamilton-based. It's really interesting the way the Lord overwrites things, isn't it? So this was... a very yeah, obviously it's some bitterness towards <laughs> Hamilton and the Lord needed to set that well, straight. Well, it, it's a long-going issue between Tarongians and Hamiltonians, you know. Uh, but, yeah, he's healed me of a lot of that. <laughs> but uh, I eventually went, yeah, for a Hamilton-based company. And they looking, they were looking for – it was actually the dream job because they were looking for a local guy in Taronga for their Taronga office. And they were one of the companies that I'd always said I'd work for if, if, if the opportunity ever came up. And it's interesting the way God nudges you to let things go and you think, oh, this is terrible. I'm letting go of something that I've worked so hard towards. Mm. So it was a real grieving process. But within a couple of weeks of actually saying, okay, I'm laying down my own business, this dream job appeared in the newspaper. And it just said, um, we're a company that's taking on new staff, come in for a coffee. And I said to my wife, this is a really interesting ad. It doesn't even say who they're looking for, what they're wanting. So I went in there. And it wasn't anything that I expected. And he was asking me questions like, what values can you bring into our company? And I said, values? What, you mean like integrity, honesty? And, you know, I just didn't know what he was. And he said, are you a Christian? And I said, yes. And he said, so am I. <laughs> so it was like, <laughs> we just hit it off straight after that. And he's still my friend, um, even though I've left the company years ago. We're still friends. Awesome. And he was a senior partner. What was the company? <laughs> Oh, I'm allowed to say that on air, I don't know, but um, oh, Chow, yeah, so it's an uh, architect yep. company in Hamilton, based, uh, Chen Chow is one of the partners of the company, so awesome. Chen and, Chen's got an amazing story of how he came to Christ through um, Chinese gambling kind of background, Oh wow! and so yeah, he was radically born again, so we were, like, we really hit it off, and we cool. actually ended up getting quite a number of Christians in our office as well. Oh, right. Uh, so it was a great place to work, it was like the dream job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it, I knew when I started it that it wasn't going to be forever, and it was almost like there was still that missions thing that was there in my heart. The islands, you know, that dream one day of doing something, mm. going overseas. And I'd, I'd always said that to my wife when we met too, like, do you love the islands? Do you like the tropics? Because I needed to know someone I was going to marry needed to be prepared to move into the Pacific Islands. And she loved the. She said Hawaii is my favorite place, and so she ticked all the boxes for me. Awesome. <laughs> so, anyway, so we got we started to get a little bit of prophetic word as well from people that we were probably going to move overseas, and we didn't know where. And then a guy came to my church, um, a guy called John, and we really hit it off really well. And he said, "Why don't we take a team of people to the islands for a mission trip?" And I said, yeah, that'd be awesome. You know, he said, oh, when was the last time you guys did a mission trip? And I said, oh, like 10 years ago. I think three people went to India. <laughs> that was about it. So, yeah, so him and I kind of worked on a trip to Fiji. Um, so there's Fiji again, crops up again. Yeah. Uh, so we ended up taking a team up to Fiji in 2008. 
and the plane lands in Mandy, on the, and Mandy, and I'm like, I feel like I'm home. Why am I home? Anyways, and then I said to John, so where are we going to stay the first night in Fiji? And he said, oh, we're going to stay in YWAM in Latoka. Now, that was very significant on a yeah. number of levels. Significant because of being there as a you know, 10, 11-year-old and loving the town, but also because I'd actually graduated on my DTS there, my discipleship training school that I'd done With quite a number of years before in 93. So I did my YWAM training on the ship, actually, which is based in Taronga in 93, um, only a couple of years after I'd come to, well, three years after I'd come to Christ. Wow. So so we graduated at our DTS in Latoka. So it was significant that after about 14 years that I'm back hmm. in Fiji, back in Latoka. And so that night, as I was lying in the, in the bunk room, I said, Lord, why have you brought me back here? And he goes, well, this is the place you finished with YWAM. You graduated here. This is the place I'm bringing you back to. I want you to move your family and move up to Fiji. Ah. So that all happened in that mission trip. Mm. Uh, and the feeling of being home never left me for the whole time yeah. we were working there. So I get home, and my wife says, oh, how was your mission trip? Honey, and I said, honey, you better sit down <laughs> and explain what had happened. I said, look, I really feel we need to move to yeah. Fiji um, and work with YWAM. And she goes, yeah, this is the Lord. I knew, I know this is God. So we basically packed our stuff up. We had a seven-year-old and a three-year-old. We basically, I basically finished up my job. Oh, I got, I got leave. That's right. So I said to her, maybe we should just try it for a half a year and see if we can do it. So there was a school running there that they needed staff for, so I ended up staffing that DTS. And um, and my good Christian boss gave me six months leave. Wow. Um, so that was wonderful. So I had a guaranteed job when we came back to New Zealand. Yeah. And we didn't sell our house. We just rented it out, and we flew up to Fiji and absolutely had a ball. Loved it. Wow. Hard for my wife at first. She didn't never lived in an island culture before mm. because – being, if you've lived in Papua New Guinea, you can live anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, as you probably know. <laughs> so for me, it was quite a pretty easy. Yeah. But for her, very difficult. And I wondered why we were there because I could see she was struggling. And I prayed about that. And I felt the Lord say, no, it's because of your wife you're in Fiji. And I'm like, oh, how's that going to work? Anyway, about two weeks later, she comes to me and says, I want to do a DTS. And wow. I went, oh, Okay. I'd never asked her to do one. So, so I was like, she, and I said, why do you want to do this training? And she said, because I can see the changes going on in people's lives and I want that for my own life. So we went Come back on. to New Zealand and she did a DTS here in Taronga. And then the following year we went back to Fiji again because so we were asked to come and staff us, you know, be on staff again. Mm. And we did another school DTS. We staffed a school up there. And at the end of that time, we had to make a decision, are we going to live in New Zealand or are we going to live in Fiji? Yeah. So <clears throat> in the end, we said, nah, let's live in Fiji. So we ended up living in Fiji for five years after wow. that. So we did two years part-time and then yeah. five years full-time, yeah. Wow. Yeah, amazing experience. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. And it fulfilled my dream. Yeah. Of living, as a, Well, you know, right from yeah. when you were just a kid. Yep. On keep keeps going forth, and God's yeah. saying these are the seeds on yeah. on your destiny, more yeah, or less. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. So I remember we had business coaching when I was working for the company, and one of the coaches said to me, "So if you had unlimited time and unlimited money, what would you do for the rest of your life?" And I said, "I'd quit this job and go and live in the islands and be doing mission work." 
Wow. And within two years, we were doing just that. Come on. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that is so, so cool. It's been awesome. Yeah, no regrets. I've, people ask me, oh, I bet you had a great career. Don't you miss being in an office? I said, look, not one day when I lived in Fiji did I ever miss being working yeah, you know, but I've got another. You know, we've got a friend that works as an architect in New Zealand. He's completely fulfilled as a Christian, working in an office and, yeah. and doing his job. And he said, "Greg, I Absolutely. really feel this is where I'm called." And I said, "That's awesome, man!" But for me, no, I got to yeah. be out doing this mission stuff. Yeah, that's good because uh, well, they need both. Hey, it's yeah, the body of Christ. It's the body of Christ, and you just yeah. got to find your right place, the sweet spot in that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for us, our body of Christ is clearly a mouth. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You're like we just talk, yeah, yeah. and we, sh- uh, you know, share the different stories, yeah. and amazing testimonies that God's doing yeah, all over awesome. the world. And my calling is not necessarily to go and be a pastor no. or a preacher or a missionary in yeah. that sense, but other people wouldn't be able to stand doing what we're doing. Yeah. And um, that's the body working its Definitely. way. I'm yeah. not a hand. I'm not a foot. Yeah. I'm a mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and a very good one too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, Greg, is there any anyone in particular that you would like to honour in your journey that brought you to faith? I think the persistence of my friend that actually didn't give up on me to share. Yeah. So even though I wasn't showing many signs of actually heading towards Christ, yeah. that she was consistently meeting with me, saying, come yeah. on, let's get together, let's talk more. Yeah. And often she just listened to me mm. as well, which really helped me, I think, just to verbalize my journey mm. and see where my heart was at. Yeah. And I think ultimately it was her determination and probably her stubbornness, really, <laughs> you know, that she was so stubbornly <laughs> determined to um, to bring me to the Lord. But ultimately it wasn't anything that she argued or presented. It was just a desperate prayer. Yeah. At the end of the day, for her, and she re- she learned a good lesson out of it. She said, "Man, I wish I'd just laid hands on you in the first month." Yeah, you know, but it may not have worked then. But it was just that she came to the end of her maybe ways that she could sort of get me saved. Mm. She kind of kind of had to give up as well. Yeah, we both kind of gave up for different reasons. You know what I mean? Like I was giving. It was up. in the same moment that day that she prayed for you, and you said you felt the Lord come, but then. That same day, you also said, "I felt like this was the if it was it was yes or no at that point." It was, and yeah. so she wasn't going to do any more. She had done the yeah. seventy times seven, or yeah, <laughs> you know that many, many times, times yeah. constantly. Yeah, and the Lord said, "You've been obedient. Yeah, now I'm going to come through. I'm going yeah. to answer this prayer." Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah. Um, do you have any advice for someone listening that has gone through that similar mindset, those similar trials? They're in the world right now. They might be listening to us, yeah. and they're surfing or snowboarding or yeah. whatever they're doing, and they're not fulfilled. Yeah. Any advice for them on how to find the Lord? How do I cry out? How do I get around the right <laughs> people to lead me to the Lord? I think the cool thing is that God knows where we're at, and He's like we said, there's a bigger story here. So he actually knows where you're at at any point in your life. And you can just reach out in prayer and just say, it's mm. just like talking to someone. You just go, Lord, I haven't, I, d- I don't know what to do. And I think there's been a number of times in my life, even prior to officially committing to Christ, where I've cried out to God and he's answered that prayer. So 
it's the old cliche, but he's only a prayer away, and you just reach out, just reach out with your heart. Mm. Yeah. And you know what? The skiing, the snowboarding, the adventure, it'll never bring you total fulfillment and peace and happiness. It'll, it's temporal, and like you said, there's always another mountain to climb, and you get to the top of that, and you go, well, is that it? Is that all this is? You know, like my ultimate, oh, I'm going to be this windsurfing guy yeah. in, in the Greek islands. This is my dream, you know? And that dream was, there's nothing there. Yeah. Well, it just, it's something that you can grasp. Yeah. You know, and the fact that you can grasp it means you can conquer it. You yeah. can, you will yeah. hit the top. You hit the top, yeah. So why not aim for something that's, Unfathomable. That's right. <laughs> Deep mystery. Yeah, yeah. Like, and that's yeah. where God's love is. Yeah. Like, for thousands and thousands yeah. of years, people have been talking about yeah. this great love. Yeah, and it hasn't ceased, and it's moved people in ways that you know it, it's impossible for it to not be true. I love that. I love that Dave Dobbins song from years ago. He says, "Give in to the background love." Like his love's all around. That's you know? good. But you know, there's, you can just give into the background love. Mm. Um, it's there. You know, his love is there all the time, and and it's just he just wants you to reach out in your heart. That's mm. all it is. Yeah, but it has to be heartfelt. Like you can't play games. Like it's not like, oh, I can if I do this, you'll do that. But it's really just surrendering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, somebody came on the other day yeah. and they were saying that they would struggle with alcohol and they would struggle with drugs. Yeah. And that God wants me to change and in my own strength I'd have to change. And it's changing that mindset to not you're going to be struggling to to give up drugs and alcohol. It's that you're surrendering that part of your life of these temptations. And it's it's the moment of surrender is when the Lord is able to come in and change things. Definitely. Because he's such a gentleman. He's never going to force himself to to make us do yeah, anything. That's right. He wants yeah. us to freely give with our will. Yep. So, Greg, where is God taking you now? Um, I think we're 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 actually at the phase of our lives now where we're em- becoming empty nesters. My son's getting married in January. My oldest son, um, and my daughter's just finishing high school next year. So mm. we're actually praying about. We, do we redeploy overseas? We're sort of sensing that might be something that we can look at now. Yeah. So it's another adventure, you know, like I love adventure and God's honoured that. He's got me on adventures and mm. so we're very open. We've always said when we got married that we'd always keep our hands open before God so that he could put in whatever he wanted to put in and take out whatever he wanted to take out and we were prepared to go wherever he wanted us to go mm. and do what he wanted us to do. So we've always lived like that. Yeah. And we try and keep our lives fairly simple as well. We don't get into debt or anything that we don't have to get into. Um, we don't have the flashiest house. We don't pine for those kinds of things. We we just live uh, simply, and um, we're just open. Yeah, so it's good. We're just waiting for the next uh, assignment. <laughs> so you uh, you're still staffing with? Yeah, I'm full time with YWAM. So I've been full time with YWAM since 2009, pretty much. Yeah, had a couple of periods there where I was. Just working just few, you know, like four or five months, but yep. basically for the last, yep. yeah. So many YWAM is a support-based? Yeah, we're right. all volunteers, and yep. we all have to rely on, on gaining our own support through friends, family, yep. church, um, 
Yeah. Do you have a a way that we would be able to leave in the description where people could get in touch with you if they hear this episode and they feel called to support you as a missionary that we could leave in the description? If not, I'll edit this part out. Um, well, because of the security issues with what I do, it's probably hard for me to mm-hmm. leave a direct connection, but they could just get in touch with YWAM Furnace, which has yep. got a website, ywamfurnace.org, and yep. they could um, leave a donation for me. There's a donations page there, and they can just put in Greg, and yep. they, yeah, I'm the only Greg on campus, so yep. I know who I am. Easy. So that's the way they can do it. Yep. Awesome. Yep. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you, Greg, yep. for joining us Thanks, on the Jesus Magnet yep. podcast. Um, hope you enjoyed this episode, yep. and um, we'll see you next time on the Jesus Magnet. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Jesus Magnet Podcast. If you enjoyed this, make sure that you connect with us. Find us on Facebook, on Instagram, and if you want to support us, be a member of our coffee club, Jesus Magnet Coffee Club. See you next time on the Jesus Magnet.